Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. If we haven't met yet, then my name is Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist. I have a background in exercise science and natural fertility education as well. That is a mouthful, but I hope you got that. Um, but I specialize solely in PCOS because I have it too. So I know how damn annoying and horrible the symptoms can be. But I also know what it's like to be sort of on the other side of that and having those symptoms now well managed um, and that you can see a lot of symptom relief by addressing your root cause. So understanding whether that's insulin that's driving your PCOS or your stress hormones or uh, maybe it's your thyroid or inflammation or another um, another system in your body. And that's exactly what I do with all patients, whether I work with them one-on-one or whether I work with them in my PCOS protocol is we do the same thing. So first up is trying to identify what is that system that's not working well and then actually put the right plan in place for you. So the PCS protocol program I do is no different to when I work with someone one-on-one. It is we do the through, go through the same thing first um, and then the program that you get is based on that the results of that analysis of what's happening in your body. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach and it really is individual to your um, root cause or, uh, or, or PCOS type. So um, I think that that's something that whether you're working with anybody is they need to look at you as an individual and what's actually going on in your body. And that's exactly what we're talking about today with the lovely Dr. Samina, who I'm talking about progesterone treatment for PCOS with her. And not just PCOS, I mean, we're looking at like things like postmenstrual dysmorphic disorder, PMDD, where you might be getting really horrible pre-period symptoms like massive depression or insomnia, um, also treating using it to treat hypothalamic amenorrhea and um, other conditions as well, um, also miscarriage or uh, preventing miscarriage and pregnancy. So um, we'll get into that soon and I'll explain exactly what progesterone is and it's, and it is, what we're talking about here is natural micronized progesterone. So this is the same form of progesterone that your body produces. It's not the synthetic form that you would get in hormonal birth control or Provera. It's the natural form and it, there's more research now coming out about using this and this is, um, led primarily by the lovely Dr. Geraldine Pryor at the Center of Ovulation Menstrual Research, um, center. SEMCOR it's called and they are producing some amazing research about why ovulation is so important for health not just for fertility but for health and how to use micronized natural progesterone to help to support um, many female conditions but especially PCOS. So we're talking today but Dr. Samina so I got to know her we were doing a panel together for the PCOS Awareness Association um, during PCOS Awareness Month and so she is a naturopathic doctor in Ontario, Canada and so the naturopathic doctor qualification um, is just the most amazing qualification. I wish we had it here in New Zealand but it is... um, so it's the trained the same way that a um, conventional doctor would be, but also with the naturopathic element as well. So how to use, how to actually treat the root cause, identify the root cause and treat that with lifestyle changes, you know, your core things, stress management, sleep, diet, exercise, making sure they've got enough vitamins and minerals. Um, but then also using things like natural hormones to treat uh, conditions like PCOS or PMDD or, um, or recurrent miscarriage. And so Dr. Samina, she got into this um, because she has PCOS herself and has seen the um, impacts that um, treating her PCOS and especially treating her PCOS with progesterone has had on her symptoms, not just her ovulation and her menstrual regularity, but actually her acne as well. So that's why I really wanted to bring her on to talk to you about this because it's something that you're not probably going to get told by your conventional doctor. Um, You may even have to seek out someone um, who's a bit more specialized to prescribe you this because your conventional doctor may just want to use something like Provera instead. Um, But I think that I have seen the effects on my woman that I work with um, when I refer them out and get because I'm a nutritionist, I'm non, I can't prescribe medications. Um, but when I have referred them out and, and got treatment, I have seen the vast improvements that we can get from using natural micronized progesterone. 
So um, that's what we're talking about today. So as can like there's we go into quite a bit of detail. Um, if you, you know, there's parts of it that you don't understand, that's fine. Just listen through or skip forward a few seconds and we'll get back to um, something that you do understand. But I really wanted to go into detail about why this actually works and why it's not um, the same as a you know synthetic progestin that your doctor might prescribe like Provera or the hormonal birth control pill in terms of actually helping to regulate cycles and get you back ovulating. So that's what we're going to today. Without further ado, let's bring um, Dr. Samina on, but uh, also I provided links in the show notes for her Instagram or for her website. If you do, if you are in Ontario, Canada, and you do want to book an appointment with her, I would highly, highly recommend it. So let's get on and have a chat. So Samina, thank you so much for joining me here. It's so nice to see you again. Since our almost time on the PCOS panel discussion a few months ago, where I had to, um, in the end, um, not be able to do that. But so nice to chat to you again. Thanks so much for joining me here and teaching us all about progesterone. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited. I love progesterone. Oh, I love it too. <laughs> I think oh, it's my favorite it. hormone now. I've learned so much about it in the last two years. So it's super exciting to be here to ch- chat with you about it. Yeah, and I think it is so, so underused for mm-hmm. people with PCOS, and it can be so helpful for s- such a variety of symptoms and yes. fairly low on the negatives, which is a brilliant yep. thing, you know? So, yeah. Okay, before we get into that though, because I know that yeah. even I'm so excited to hear about all the different things, um, let's start from the start. So, what is progesterone actually? Let's start with that. Okay, so I think for me to really explain this question is to really dive into the the cycle, the hormonal cycle, mm-hmm. right? And so when we talk about what is progesterone, well, let's let's go to the very beginning. So when a when a woman gets a period, so they have their period, right? They menstruate. After that happens, then what's going to happen is proge- or estrogen is going to start to rise. And the reason why estrogen is rising is because from the brain, we produce something called FSH. This is follicle-stimulating hormone. And follicle-stimulating hormone stimulates the follicle to produce estrogen. And that allows that follicle to grow. So when estrogen gets to its peak, so it gets to its highest level, that's what's going to stimulate LH. LH is our luteinizing hormone. It also comes from the brain. And then that will stimulate the egg to drop out of the follicle. So the follicle houses the egg. When the egg comes out of the follicle, that means ovulation is happening. So once, you know, this process is called luteinization. And so when that happens, LH is going to drop, estrogen is going to drop, and that follicle that dropped the egg is going to become a corpus luteum. And that corpus luteum is what really produces progesterone, right? And our ability to create progesterone in the second half of our cycle after we've ovulated so that we use that progesterone in case there is a possible pregnancy to allow us to sustain that pregnancy, right? And like allow us to um, have a healthy and successful pregnancy. So that's why progesterone is so important, but we always have to look at what happens before ovulation because that corpus luteum has a direct reflection of what happened in the first half of the cycle when that follicle was developed. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really, I think it's really important to understand that progesterone is only produced once you have ovulated and that corpus luteum has formed. Because I'm sure you see this as well, but so many women coming to me saying, my progesterone is so low and I'm like, okay, so when in your cycle did you get this tested? And they're like, um, oh, I think they got it to get me to do it on day 21. And I'm like, oh, yeah. well, how long's your cycle? And they're like, oh, it could be like 40, 50 days. And I was like, well, okay, you only ovulate probably about around about 14 days prior to your period. So day 21 yeah. was way too early. So For if sure. you have a longer cycle, then day 21 is probably not we're going to pick up that progesterone. And so of course your progesterone is low because you haven't actually ovulated yet. Yeah. I've had so many patients come and say, or that they've been told that they're not ovulating. And I Mm. said, wait, wait a second. (laughs) Yes. Maybe it's possible you're not ovulating, but have you been checked properly if you have been ovulating? Because it's very, very possible you are, you're just not ovulating on that textbook, you know, 
cycle of 28 days. And um, I've worked in the fertility clinic and seen so many different ways um, from other fertility clinics where they've, you know, like you said, they just test on day 21, every single patient, and mm-hmm. then they make their decision based on that one number. And that's so incredibly false because like you said, like if you have a 60 day cycle, you're probably going to be ovulating way past say cycle day 21. Right. And so um, it's really important to look at the patient and see like what's actually happening in their body. Mm -hmm. We do have a little bit of progesterone that's produced by the adrenal glands, but majority of it um, comes from that corpus luteum. Um, The other cool thing about progesterone is that it actually affects the brain, the cardiovascular system, the musculoskeletal system, and the immune system, which is so cool because that just tells us that progesterone is an anti-inflammatory hormone. So it's Mm -hmm. really um, interesting and... um, it's also, it a mass, a it's also a bone, bone building hormone. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah like exactly. Estrogen, estrogen basically starts to um, kind of erode our bones, I guess, for want of a better word, and then progesterone builds it back up. So every time exactly. in the cycle, you kind of have this bone degradation, bone rebuilding, bone degradation, bone rebuilding. And, um, yeah. and that's why women, once you've gone through menopause, we have so much less bone mass after well we, we basically just start on the degradation path of, of bone mass there's no kind of rebuilding so really in terms of for us um, females getting our bone mass um, as high as we can before we go into menopause is so crucial and 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 yes. preventing osteoporosis and other yeah. bone related conditions like that so it's i mean it's yeah. incredible what progesterone does and why yeah. Back to that, the fact that you produce pre- most of your progesterone after you have ovulated, as you yeah. said, it's a, little, a little bit in the adrenal glands, but primarily it's due to ovulation. Yeah. And the fact that that is, is why it's so important to ovulate, not just for reproduction, right? Like it's for yeah. heart health, bone health, everything that we do. Yeah, like I'm so glad you brought that up because even patients who aren't ovulating, like say they miss one cycle of ovulation in the whole year, that can actually impact their bone density. So it's really important that we get our PCOS women ovulating more regularly. And I think, you know, progesterone could be one of the ways that we could really support that process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So um, the thing is that a lot of women would say, well, I've been to the doctor and I've asked them for progesterone and they've given me it. And I said, okay, cool. Have a look on the packet. What's the brand name? I said, ah, Provera. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's not, natural micronized progesterone so when we're talking about actually let's take a um so how so provera is a what's called a synthetic progestin so how Mm -hmm. does a like progestin that you get on say your hormonal birth control or provera how does that differ from your natural progesterone that your body produces yeah so okay so you know um progestin is a synthetic form of progesterone right like it's like man-made we've created it in the lab and Um, It does, it can help to cause this withdrawal bleed, right? Because Mm -hmm. it does kind of falsely increase progesterone. Once that level comes down, then a bleed should happen, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily like a bleed from you ovulating, right? Because you haven't produced that corpus luteum. Progesterone hasn't been built naturally in your body. So that's not going to necessarily happen, right? In terms of it being a natural process. But when we're talking about progestins versus micronized progesterone is really like, what is it actually made of? And so a progestin is really, you know, that synthetic form of progesterone versus uh, micronized progesterone is bioidentical form of progesterone. So when I say bioidentical, it's as almost as identical as the progesterone that you produce naturally in your body. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, we have progestins is they have a longer shelf life, they're cheaper to produce, right? Um, But the one issue with them is that they have a variety of different effects. Mm. And some of these effects, um, we, and it differs between different progestins, because there's different types of progestins, right? And the one other issue is that it can't cross the blood brain barrier, it can't be, and sometimes it can actually be broken down into estrogen which is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. So, you know, micronized, like I said, it's as identical as the progesterone you're producing in your body. So the body is going to actually look at that micronized progesterone and think that it's its own. 
And when we get that, that's actually gold because that's what's actually going to change the signaling and the communication between the brain and the ovaries, which mm. is actually what allows us to get that regulation of cycles. Mm. Progestin is not going to actually regulate your cycle. It's just going to allow you to get that withdrawal bleed, right? Um, and so it's way different than the micronized progesterone um, that we see in terms of its mechanism. Yeah. So yeah. you can, um, when you're like, we'll talk about this in a minute in terms of what we would use micronized progesterone for, but just um, be careful when you say, to, you know, say to your doctor that what you want and making sure that the brand name is the one that you want is the micronized progesterone. So yeah. in, in New Zealand, the brand name for that is, um, Eurogestin. Okay. Is that, what's the, what's the brand name in there Canada? There is Eurogestin, and then we have um, we have Provera, uh, Depo Provera, Medroxy Progesterone. Um, these are all progestins, and then um, in terms of micronized, it can be like compounded progesterone. It can be even called Prometrium, which is like right. an oral yeah. form. Um, we get we also have um, Endometrium. Uh, mm-hmm. which is also, a, it's a suppository form of micronized progesterone. And then, which differs from compounded because just because of the ingredients that they're putting into the actual suppository. Mm-hmm. And then also crinone. So Sorry. these are, crinone is another type of suppository. So we have a few options in terms of micronized progesterone. It just mm-hmm. depends on the delivery um, that, you know, the doctor wants to go by. I often use um, compounded progesterone. Um, from the pharmacy, just because I know that there's not um, too many other, you know, ingredients in a compounded form of progesterone. Um, but, you know, that's usually what I'm prescribing for my mm-hmm. Yeah. And so most, in most countries around the world would have compounding pharmacies that yeah. uh, a doctor would have, like, potentially would have relationships, maybe not a conventional doctor. Um mm-hmm they would more go for a brand name. Um, so Prometrium is one that's probably pro- quite widely available. And so yeah. sometimes it helps giving them, because especially if, you know, your doctor hasn't been used to prescribing um, micronized progesterone, then, you know, you saying to them a brand name that they might re- recognize or be able to look up in their system, they can then, you know, read up on it and see it. Whereas if you say, oh, it's just for a compounding pharmacy, if they're a conventional doctor working in a conventional medical clinic, they may not you know, yeah. so au fait with, with ordering from there. Yeah. Yeah. Prometrium is a nice um, alternative and then also endometrium is okay as well. Yeah. 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 Um, so then talking about actually, so once we've, you know, we've kind of stepped ahead in terms of what the difference is between the, um, the two, but what, you know, so when we're using micronized progesterone, um, there's many different things we can use it for, right? So one of them is helping to um, get a woman's cycle back into, or a person's cycle back into more of closely to a 28, 30-day cycle. Um, yeah. And um, what are the other uses that you would use it for in clinic? Yeah, so um, I've used it for things like menorrhagia, so heavy mm-hmm. periods, mm-hmm. Uh, dysmenorrhea, so painful periods because mm-hmm. progesterone is anti-inflammatory, so mm-hmm. it could actually help reduce pain. Um, so yeah, we're talking endometriosis, right? Mm-hmm. But also sometimes even uh, when we have bleeding that's not necessarily associated to like a fibroid, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also when the patient is like spotting right before their period, um, this is a sign that we have lower progesterone. So we would test them and see, and then we could use that to kind of help stop the spotting. And then, you know, um, early pregnancy to help prevent a miscarriage is oftentimes what I'm using it for. So if a patient comes and they've had like, you know, two or three miscarriages or even one miscarriage, to be very honest, like um, I'm thinking, okay, maybe we need to just support her because even progesterone right after ovulation can help with implantation, but also help to keep the levels up so that um, and support that corpus luteum um, in a pregnancy. Mm. We that, know that. Um, I was going to say that's a oh, really important, that's a really important one because the baby doesn't actually start to produce their own progesterone until twelve weeks, and that's why we have yeah. such 
classic um, 12 week mark where there's, you know, the risk of early miscarriage is, is high until that 12 week mark. And that's because that's when yeah. the baby can actually take over their progesterone. And there is a lot of research around, well, no, actually, I wouldn't say, I'd back that back. I'd say there is a bit of research around that people that have had recurrent miscarriages or struggle getting pregnant. Um, um, do quite well with some progesterone supplementation in that first trimester. Um, and they found that I think uh, the level is 25 nanograms per deciliter that they, they have shown that if your progesterone is lower than that in the first trimester, then um, you would probably do quite well off having some progesterone supplementation during that. And that people that do take progesterone supplementation, they have um they have much less risk of miscarriage you know, in right. that first 12 weeks. That is yeah. all in my book. I think I'm just trying to remember what chapter it is, but you, the levels and stuff like that. So guys listening here, if you can't remember this off the top of your head, go back to that. Um, it's a chapter, I think it's 12, it's preventing miscarriage and other pregnancy complications. Um, so with the, the other thing I get all the time is women that are saying, oh, I've been bleeding for two, three weeks. Yes. <laughs> yes, I forgot about those people. So, that's so yeah. When they come, I feel so bad. I'm like, I don't even know how you're handling this. This is insane. But yeah, those people for sure, we can stop bleeding with progesterone, and we see this often in PCOS. So it is um, very important to think about progesterone in a case like that. Um, and when we use suppositories oftentimes you know if the patient's still like heavily sometimes they're heavily bleeding for a long period of time like three to four weeks to months and then we typically use the progesterone suppository rectally and it still it can still help to ah, get the, okay yeah, it can still help to reduce the bleeding and also just get them back into that cyclical nature of you know mm-hmm. um producing progesterone and ovulating at the appropriate time so you can obviously take the um the progesterone orally as well but vaginal suppositories and as you just said you could use those vaginal suppositories rectally if they're bleeding really heavily so is it is vaginally better absorbed um there's uh basically there's there's a difference between vaginal and oral form of progesterone right okay oral form of progesterone you'll get quite a um, quite a big spike like right after you take mm-hmm. the progesterone right um, the one thing with oral is that it does produce metabolites and these metabolites actually work on um, crossing the blood-brain barrier and work on our brain so then we it actually can cause fatigue and, and grogginess and so that's why if a patient has like anxiety or they're having trouble sleeping maybe an oral form of progesterone is actually um, good in that case um, the one thing we know about um, progesterone suppositories is that it does get into the system um, versus like even like transdermal. So like this is topically. Um, but the difference between um, suppository versus oral is that you don't get that metabolites. You don't get the metabolites forming. So you won't necessarily see as much fatigue or, you know, um, you will. You, some people do get it, but they don't get it as much as like an oral form of progesterone. And it does, um, you know, go quite into the uterine um, cavity when we do like a a progesterone suppository. So, you know, if patient's trying to conceive, it's probably the better bet to like put them on suppositories, I would think, um, which is what I do. And then also um, if there's something in the uterine environment that we want to work on, like say, for example, endometriosis or... Um, you know, they have other symptoms of estrogen, um, more estrogen and less progesterone, and we want to work on that uterine environment, then yeah, mm-hmm. definitely um, a suppository. But, um, you know, a lot of the research um, that Jerry Lynn Pryor has done has been with an oral form of progesterone. And this is Prometrium is uh, what she's used. And that has actually um, been really great at, you know, getting that connection from the brain to the ovaries working really well again. But oftentimes we do see this with suppositories as well, just based on my experience with using progesterone. Oh, great. And so that brain-ovary connection, that's really important. So Dr. Geraldine Pryor, she's at the Centre of Ovulation and Menstrual Research in Canada. You lucky things. You have all of (laughs) 
all of the fabulous people there. Um, so she is the lead endocrinologist there, and basically her work is all about why ovulation is really important. This is what her area of research has been for many years. Um, that's where you can read all up about the how why getting what why ovulating is so helpful for your heart health and your brain health and your um, and breast health as well, and she's leading a lot of that research. And so she terms it cyclical progesterone for uh-huh. um, to basically to you know to reform that brain connection. So what we're talking about here is when um, a patient comes and they are not, so they might be getting a sixty day cycle, right? That, to try and bring that cycle down so it's more closely mimics a sort of thirty forty day cycle. Yeah. Um, we talk we term a normal cycle. I don't know. My term is anything like 28 days plus or minus five is what, sure, yeah. what a normal would see. So any, anything within that range. So you might be thinking, oh, God, I haven't got a normal cycle because mine's 26. It is. Don't worry. You're fine. <laughs> um, but the – so her, her – that's what we were just talking about there is her um, using progesterone helps to reform that connection, and she uses it cyclically. So what does the cyclical actually mean? So when someone's using, so someone's got a sixty day cycle, when would they actually take progesterone within that cycle? Okay. So basically, we're trying to mimic that you know fourteen day luteal phase and you know fourteen day follicular phase typically, right? Like obviously, you know it it's going to be like you said, it's not going to be exactly 28 days. But say, for example, a patient's coming in, and they have a 60 day cycle, and they um, constantly have cycles where they're missing a month, but then they get they're missing it, basically, they're having a cycle every other month, right? Um, We know that their progesterone overall in that year is going to be quite low, Mm. because they're, they have a longer follicular phase. And even though they might have that progesterone, and it's 14 day luteal phase, Overall, if we look at the whole year, that exposure to progesterone is much lower than somebody who has like a 28 or even a 30 day cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of getting back to mimicking um, that type of cycle. So it really depends on what what the patient looks like. So say, for example, they've had a long period of anovulation, so they're not ovulating and they have lack of cycles in general, then maybe we would actually start to consider putting them on um, progesterone, like cycling it every 14 days, so 14 days on, 14 days off, 14 days on, 14 days off. And this is really just to get that exposure to progesterone so that the brain can get that connection back up and running. Um, if they're trying to conceive or say, for example, they we know that they're going to ovulate, but they just ovulate a little bit later, like that 60 day um, cycle type of patient, that patient, maybe we would do like, um, typically start on cycle day 18. And then at that point, we would do it for 14 nights. And then again, you know, wait 17 days, let the follicular phase go, and then put them on again for another 14 nights. Mm. And this is something I've learned from Dr. Fiona McCulloch. Mm. And she's, um, you know, worked with Jalen Pryor as well, which is really interesting. And it's just like so great that we're just sharing all this knowledge because like we, in our clinic, we've been really helping patients get their cycles back up and mm. you know just getting them to ovulate right that's that's mm. huge and then they, it's so exciting for a patient to get their period like I know myself like when I wasn't getting periods like I was so excited when it actually came right mm-hmm. and so even just to like get your cycle and like make sure you're ovulating is extremely important we can do that with progesterone when we use it in a cyclical nature oh and one more thing I just wanted to say is that um, typically it takes about three to nine cycles for like this. We have to do it cyclically for three to nine cycles and then potentially get the patient to come off and then see what happens with their natural um, ability to ovulate. Great. So that would be, so if someone has got, you know, like they're just not ovulating or they've got really long cycles and you've put them on that 14 days on, 14 days off, 14 days on, 14 days off. You probably need to do that for at least three to nine cycles and then have them stop and then see whether their cycle resumes naturally on its own. Yeah. What, what happens if it doesn't? Do you tend to keep them, um, get, put them back on? Yeah, so it really depends. Uh, we actually will test the estrogen and progesterone yeah. in that luteal phase, right? And we'll check to see, like, is the progesterone at a good level? Is estrogen at a good level? Because if we see estrogen's good and progesterone's higher than when we first saw it at, 
um, then, you know, we, we know that they're ready to come off and that they, they might be able to ovulate on their own now. Sometimes we do have to go longer. It really depends on the patient. If you're somebody who's had, you know, chronically um, long, long cycles since puberty, then, you know, it might take a longer time for you to get that exposure to progesterone and for you to, you know, get ovulation going again. But typically uh, we do see, you know, in, a, in about a year, we should be able to get something going at least. Cool. Does this also, have you, have you been using it for patients who have hypothalamic amenorrhea as well? So hypothalamic amenorrhea, for those listening, is when I always term it that your brain is telling your ovaries don't ovulate because there's something in your environment that's not quite right. Maybe it's been years of kind of chronic under eating. There's been, you know, like I, I, most people that I would deal with have had periods where they might have been an athlete in their life or just maybe intentionally or non unintentionally, um, not ovulate, not um, eating enough, or um, so it may be a history of disordered eating, or they've been through a period of really high stress or trauma or something like that, and their brain has kind of recognized this and gone, hang on, this is not the right time to bring a baby into the world. And maybe their environment has changed significantly since then, but it's still the periods have never resumed. So like so long as they are, you know, obviously treating that root cause as well and whether that was identifying and managing this, you know, stress and, you know, if it was trauma that they're getting um, help and guidance for that um, or if it was um, disordered eating that they've had um, support and overcoming that or if it was just chronic kind of under eating athlete, you know, managed all of that, but still it's not coming back. Would, would you use it in that case? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was a- because again, like the, the, you know, we're trying to establish that connection from the brain to the ovaries yeah. and in um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, that that's not happening, right? They're mm-hmm. not, the brain's not getting that signal, right? To um, get ovulation going every month because really it's stretched on the brain to produce that FSH and LH so that ovulation can happen. And so in um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, we can definitely use progesterone to kind of help re- reestablish that. But it, it, like, that's not the only thing that's going to, like you said, um, mm. fix it. It has to be that we're working on the mental emotional component. Mm. We're working on reducing exercising if they're over exercising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're really making sure that they're eating well and they're, they're addressing, you know, if they have an eating disorder or uh, whatever it is that's kind of causing the hypothalamic amenorrhea. But mm. we do see that it can help in that case like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also seen that in, in many cases where people, and, and I would say that in most hypothalamic amenorrhea cases that I've seen, it would be still a little bit under eating. Like, and often it's not intentional. Yeah. Often it would just be um, what's called like low energy availability. So you're just doing all this stuff, you know, you're out, you're like exercising, but, and you're just not, you've always never really been that hungry. And so it's not, you don't feel like you're necessarily depriving yourself, but you're just not really eating enough for what your body actually needs. And sometimes it can really take an overcompensation of eating and sometimes as well, gaining a little bit of weight. Um, yeah. if you're at a low body weight to get that going. So I would say that it's not, um, yeah, you, it needs to be really done in combination with, with both of those two. For sure. To do that. Um, the so with so what you what we've been talking about there is doing the cyclical, and so for many women that will sound very much like Provera, um, and they'll be like, ah, oh, well, that's what I did for Provera, or to kick, you know, if they've been through yeah. treatment, oh, that's what I got to kickstart my cycle before they started me on letrozole or Clomid or whatever they've had, um, and so. With this, you know, many in many cases, women will go and, and say, oh, I've heard this great podcast and Dr. Samina, she's amazing, and we'll read, taken Dr. Gerilyn Pryor's work on cyclical progesterone and take that to their doctor, and their doctor will give them, say, no, we don't prescribe that micronized progesterone. What is, what is the, what in your opinion is the reason why a conventional doctor is so unwilling to prescribe progesterone, especially because, so it, in terms of side effects, we're talking really little, right? Like there is very little yes. downside in having someone on micronized progesterone. If it's any. a very safe hormone from what we've seen in the research. And really the only side effects that we commonly see, um, and some patients don't even get these side effects, but bloating, a little bit of fatigue. And those are like the, the extent to what we've really seen with um, progesterone suppositories from me from prescribing it. Yeah. 
And this is and what so many women get before their period because of progesterone, right? Like that's exactly, the same, yeah. exactly the same yeah. symptom as what you'd have with your natural body producing progesterone. And um, so why, like in your opinion, why do you think they're so hesitant to prescribe it? You know, I'm not actually quite sure why. I think maybe it's possibly because of just their standard of care. This is, you know, what they've, they, they do have standard of care for each type of thing that yeah. they've been presented to. Uh, when the patient comes in, which, you know, same as myself, like I have a standard of care when someone comes in and they say like they have irregular cycles or we're not, I'm going to be thinking of cyclical progesterone, but um, it could just be the fact that they know Provera could like kickstart their period and that's what they're looking for. Um, but I think it ha- we have to dive a little bit deeper into A, why is it happening? Where is it coming from? And how can we, you know, how can we help that root cause of uh, what's going on with the patient in terms of her hormonal imbalances? Mm, I think that's a very, the, the, the difference with, between working with someone who operates in a um, naturopathic medicine or functional medicine world like yourself and someone who works in a conventional medicine world is that you're both doing your jobs, right? It's just the way that you've been trained and the way that you've yeah. been taught that. And so that can be the hard thing is, you know, going to someone and asking them to do their job completely differently the way they've been taught or the way that they are going to be um, assessed on how they can kind of treat you. And so sometimes yeah. it can be, um, you know, you're banging your head against a brick wall because you're never going to change the way that that, that that is done. I mean, you can definitely ask for it, but sometimes it might be if you're not getting the outcome that you want from that, you know, from your doctor who say, hey, cool, we, I really want to try this micronized progesterone and see how that helps. Can you prescribe this to me? Here are the brand names. Um, or, you know, you can get it through a compounding pharmacy. If they're hesitant and they say, no, we only need to provide Provera, I think the best method is maybe just to move on and find someone else who's more yeah. kind of functionally or naturopathically trained, which which in Canada is, I mean, your your patients is, are so lucky with you and Fiona I mean wow wow, what a powerhouse and and um and Geraldine like as well it's just I mean so so lucky and and just having that naturopathic doctor qualification I mean it's something that is I wish they do would do in New Zealand yeah Um, yeah we we have some so some naturopathic doctors are um have prescribing rights so not all naturopaths in Canada have prescribing rights just because you have to do an additional exam that just came in effect a few years ago to prescribe um, hormones and um, other sorts of medications that we have access to now. Um, but yeah, the majority, I would say a lot of NDs do have their prescribing rights and they're able to do it. So if you can find somebody who has the prescribing rights for um, progesterone, that'd be great. And then the other thing is uh, Dr. Jerry Lynn Pryor actually has a it's like a progesterone PDF on her website on like how to prescribe it and why it's prescribed and how it works. And so even maybe that could be something um, of a resource for to patients to take to their doctors and say like, Hey, like this is, you know, this is an actual thing. <laughs> this is how it works, you know? Um, and maybe that could actually help the doctor prescribe it. The one thing is like the doctor just has to have a reason why they're prescribing it and they have to be able to chart it right, and understand why they're doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense to me. Like I would want to also be able, I have to, you know, make a chart entry too and say why I'm prescribing something as well. So I can see from their side that they would want to feel comfortable and have the knowledge to do it as well. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like asking them you know, to do a blood test when they're like, I don't actually know how to interpret this test result. You're unlikely to be, you know, to get that blood test if they yeah. don't know how to interpret because, you know, it's like, well, if you're going to come back to me and asking me what, what it means and then I, yeah. I can do that. And so um, you may, you know, like definitely take that PDF with you. I, I provide that PDF to pretty much every woman that comes into my protocol. I, yeah. like we talk on the on the, our weekly Zoom calls and I'm like, mm-hmm. right, I'm going to send you this PDF, like take that to your doctor. Um, the response I've got with many women all over the world, because we work with women all over the world, is that um, mm-hmm. it can be just um, a bit hit and miss about who's willing to. Because, again, if you're taking yeah. that PDF to your doctor, it's not something they can necessarily read within. I mean, they could read it within 10 minutes, but to also do that and do the consultation, right. um, yeah, you know, it can, it can be quite a lot. And therefore, I would say... Some of the times, if unless they're kind of willing to really look into that outside of hours... Yeah then, you know, you might not get there. But that's okay. Just it's about yeah. don't get the outcome that you want from that. Then move on and find, you know, do, yeah, do, exactly. do some Googling, 
um, and see who else might be, you know, willing to prescribe that in your area or, or someone who, who you could work with as a way to go. Yeah, awesome. yeah so with the... Um, with the like dose, so you know when we're looking at drugs, like other you know things like um, I don't know when you're looking in the fertility space, like letrozole or clomid, it's so dependent on the individual what dose would work. Is that the same with um, progesterone? Do, do people do different people need kind of different doses, or is it fairly general with what you um, or what is it? And also too, how does it differ from like the cream progesterone cream that people mm. get in terms of dose? Right, so. You know, um, cream is actually not something that I recommend at all when it comes to PCOS, like only because we can't get the levels high enough in the serum to really make a change in the, um, you know, brain to uterus or ovary connection. Um, but typically, you know, from Jerilyn Pryor's work, um, she usually recommends 100 to 300 milligrams oral uh, micronized progesterone, so that's Prometrium. Um, and I often see, based on her information, that she's using more likely 300 milligrams. Mm. Um, and then suppository-wise, um, it can be anywhere from 100 to 400 milligrams. So sometimes this does depend on the patient, what they're going through. Um, but typically, uh, 400 milligrams is very similar to a 300 milligram um, oral micronized progesterone. But the difference between 300 and 400 milligrams in terms of suppository isn't very different when we look at the serum. Mm. So even like a 300 milligram suppository could be okay to um, get the cycle going again. Um, if the patient hasn't had a period for a very, very long time, um, or they've had like on and off cycles for years, maybe like a higher dose would be better just to like get that exposure up and, you know, get the brain activated in terms of figuring out that progesterone is there so maybe i would be looking at a higher dose there but typically you know 300 milligrams progesterone suppositories or like a 300 milligram oral micronized progesterone uh, would be kind of the sweet spot i would say nice and starting patients that is like when you just said there, the getting the brain to recognize the progesterone is there. That's how it helps to regulate a cycle, right? Whereas, like with Provera, it's never going to, it's just going to cause that withdrawal bleed. It's just that, um, but because it's not actually causing you to, uh, you know, uh, triggering that further ovulation, because not that progesterone causes ovulation, but it's more that we think that that. The, the brain recognizes that progesterone's been there and it's kind of like, oh, that's right. I remember this. Okay, now yeah. it's going to raise FSH. And it's sort of a um, a, a bit of a domino effect, right? When, when progesterone yes. has been high and then it becomes low and then you shoot your sight lining, that then the brain recognizes, okay, now I need to produce FSH and then that causes that egg to develop. Yeah, let me go into this because I had I was thinking about this question before the podcast <laughs> and I want to like really kind of go into this and kind of explain what's going on. It is quite sciencey, but, you know, you can help me bring it down a little bit <laughs> to make sure you we understand um, the, the listeners can understand. But I think I have a good explanation of how um, this works and a way that you can kind of understand it. So really like the proper maturation between the brain and the ovaries, it actually happens during pu puberty. So mm -hmm. this is, and so like we actually see um, chronic dysfunction of that HPO axis for a long period of time in these PCOS women. And the right? HPO because axis is your, your you. brain and your, your, so your, your hypothalamus and your um, pituitary and your brain. And those are the two areas that control um, hormone, hormone release yeah. and everything with hormones. And then your ovaries is the O part. So pretty much like you could draw like a triangle between, if you could see me right now on the video, I'm like pretty much like two fingers on the side of my head and then like a triangle all the way down to my ovary. And that's, yeah. that's like the, the cycle of, of how that communication happens between your brain and your ovaries. Exactly. Yeah. So this maturation of the connection from the brain to the ovaries is signaling um, to the ovaries to, you know, get that cycle going, get ovulation going happens that actual maturation happens in puberty. Mm. And so when we think about what's going on, it's like the hypothalamus, this is in the brain, it releases a hormone called GNRH. And this GNRH actually stimulates the production of FSH and LH from the anterior pituitary in the brain. So we're still in the brain. 
So it's like there's a hypothalamus releases GnRH, it tells the pituitary to release FSH and LH, okay? And it really all comes down to how fast that uh, GnRH is pulsing in that hypothalamus. So a slow pulsing of GnRH allows for FSH to become dominant. Mm -hmm. So, and remember, FSH is follicle stimulating hormone. It stimulates the follicle to allow estrogen um, to be released so that the follicle can grow and that we can ovulate. Fast pulsing of GnRH from the hypothalamus causes LH to be produced. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in early puberty, what happens is we're quite dominant in LH and testosterone. This is all women. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the natural process will be kickstarted when that FSH will be produced and ovulation will happen. So this is a natural process that our body just undergoes. That's when we'll be exposed to progesterone because we'll ovulate, right? We, we built that FSH. And this production of, of progesterone helps to slow down that pulsing of GnRH. Yeah. And it allows us to create FSH on the next cycle. So this is like what would happen in a patient who doesn't have PCOS. She's going to produce, she's going to ovulate, she's going to produce progesterone, that GnRH pulsing will slow down, and that will help her to ovulate on the next cycles. Mm. In PCOS, what we have is we have more insulin that leads to more androgen, so more testosterone. And this is where we see that high LH to FSH ratio. And then we see less progesterone because we don't get that natural induction of the cycle, what happens is GnRH constantly pulses really fast. Mm. Remember when I said at the beginning, when GnRH is pulsing fast, we're producing more LH. And this is like, this is basically what's happening. We're producing too much GnRH, too much LH is being formed. And really the goal is to bring androgen androgens down and LH down. So when we actually expose the body to progesterone, this will essentially help us to reduce that GnRH pulsing, and that will help to reduce testosterone. That will then help FSH to rise in the next cycle to allow ovulation to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's actually like, it's pretty, um, you know, intensive what mm -hmm. progesterone can do. It can yeah. really work on that brain, bring that GnRH down, reduce testosterone, the less testosterone we have, the more ability for estrogen to rise to get that ovulation going so that the next cycle, the body is exposed to that progesterone previously. So it'll help us to ovulate on the next cycle and the next cycle and the next cycle. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it in PCOS, we're almost kind of stuck in this puberty kind of state, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Where the brain hasn't fully matured with that connection, that HPO connection that you explained, the hypothalamic pituitary ovary access. So I think it's that's kind of on the loop, isn't it? Where it's kind of yeah. like it hasn't, hasn't been kickstarted into the next loop where it's like, exactly. oh, okay, now we're back. So it's just kind of stuck on this. And it's anything that's in a loop, it's really hard to get it out. And that's yeah. you know, so what we can think of progesterone doing is really just helping to kick us out of that early puberty loop of producing too much LH and too much testosterone and into the next loop, which is, and there, there are many things that can help this, you know, like, um, you know, if we address that root cause and we figure that out that insulin's a problem, if we can bring yeah. insulin down, this can work for many women um, as, as sort of addressing that root cause and addressing those underlying issues. But for many still, it still won't be enough. And that's where having, if you've gone through all of that and you're like, man, I've like, we're working on my diet and everything exactly. and it hasn't worked. I think not, I wouldn't say you have to wait to do the progesterone, but it can be so helpful as well as, or, you know, for those women that are really struggling to get that cycle back or, or same thing with the hypothalamic amenorrhea, their brain is still stuck in that cycle of exactly. there's not enough food, there's too much stress, there's not enough food, there's too much stress. And it can actually kick it back into, ah, oh, no, actually we're okay. This is fine. Yeah. Yeah. As long as those environmental so parts are there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The goal is to produce or uh, produce less testosterone. And, you know, sometimes we have women who are like eating well, they're exercising and like their testosterone is coming down. But like you said, sometimes we just need that extra support mm -hmm. in getting that progesterone. Yeah. Or it's not quick enough for like, you know, the, I've had women yes. where they're working on this, but they've, you know, they've come off the pill at, you know, in their 30s too, they've got married, come off the pill, never known there's been anything wrong and suddenly their cycles are 60 or 70 days long and they're worried about, 
getting older and time to conceive. And so sometimes, you you know, like that would also be a really yeah. valuable time to use it then as well when you're like, actually, we know we're already doing all the right things, but we don't necessarily have the year or 18 months to wait for that testosterone, exactly. and, you know, like to come down doing all of these things correctly. And so, so long as you're doing that as well, um, because, you know, especially when you're coming into fertility, from a fertility perspective, if, insulin's high going into fertility then you know like you're going to be at risk of gestational diabetes and all other things so i think it's still good to do as well but you you know like this would be a really good opportunity to use progesterone to um to help kind of speed that process up a little bit yeah i agree Mm-hmm. so that is so good i think that's super helpful and, and really helps understand why um micronized natural progesterone so we call it micronized progesterone um why it is so much more effective for actually getting cycles back and also for other things, brain health, bone health, heart health, breast health in females, why that's crucial and you're not going to get that from a Provera or a synthetic progestin, right? So that's why Provera is not going to do that same kickstart that out of that, you know, that LH testosterone cycle, that pre-puberty cycle into the into the post-puberty ovulation cycle. It's exactly. not going to do that. It's just going to give you that withdrawal bleed and then you're back not ovulating the next cycle. Or, you know, it doesn't matter how many cycles you do with Provera, it's never going to actually kickstart ovulation. Yeah. Um, whereas the micronized progesterone can like can do that and and has far fewer side effects than a synthetic progestin. Yes, for sure. So I think it's a win-win all, on all fronts. Um, anything exactly. else that you um, want to say um, to women? You know, maybe from your personal ex- piece of experience or from um, you know experience working with women. Yeah, I mean, um, I've used progesterone myself. and I've actually felt the difference um, between, you know, cycles where I've ovulated extremely late versus, you know, cycles with progesterone where I've ovulated quite, you know, at a pretty decent time. Uh, We do see with PCOS that we're just generally late ovulators. Like even if we do like get back our ovulation, we do just tend to ovulate a little bit later. Like I'm saying, you know, cycle day 15, 16, 17, so not even that late. Um, But we do tend to see, generally, we will be ovulating a little bit later. But I do find that um, just that exposure to progesterone has really, like, even just changed my body in general. You know, it just feels like, it sounds so silly, but it does feel like it is maturing. Like, it Mm. is getting to that state of, like, okay, like, this is what it feels like to, like, be exposed to progesterone, have these changes cycle over cycle, and, like, feel that difference when you move into that luteal phase, because I do feel like, um, you know, before I wasn't getting that, you know, actual change, I was definitely, you know, ovulating and feeling the effects of progesterone, but not as much um, until I started taking progesterone and seeing the change in the cycle. Mm, Interesting. And so have you yeah. seen your um, seen your ovulation day come back from sort of what day, like 16, um, back to earlier in the cycle, day what, 11, day? Well, well, typically I would ovulate like sometimes even cycle day 19, 20, mm. and then even as far as like 29. Mm. And so, and for me, I have a little bit of hypothalamic amenorrhea as well. Mm. And so there's like this picture of that and then a little bit of PCOS. I know it's coming from stress when it's like a late cycle, right? (laughs) Um, Which I'm sure a lot of PCOS women can relate to. So I think um, the progesterone has helped bring it forward. But also if I have a stressful month, like progesterone is not going to necessarily change that right so yeah and 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 something that um has really proven this is um covid right i know that they um dr um dr anita mitra in london um Mm. she goes by gynegeek on instagram she was saying that when she they're actually doing a, she's going to do a research project on this but she just went out to her instagram audience and was like hey whose cycles have been affected and i'd done this as well because i'd noticed it with mine like i um my ovulation had been delayed by about 10 days um during yeah. the first initial stages of covid even though i didn't feel like my life had changed that much you know like yeah. i still could work there was no major stresses but it was still just that underlying that you you don't know what's happening in the world and we yeah. you know we 
going on. Just fear of the unknown. Yeah, and she so she just has um, started conducting some research on this, and she found that not only were women's cycles affected, they could be long or they could be short, um, but also two women's bleeding on even while on hormonal birth control was irregular. Mm. And so you just like can see how stress can override even medication, and yeah, how powerful sure. that is in the brain, where it's just like whoa, 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 we don't know what's happening here. Yeah, we, yeah. Exactly. So I can yeah. see why you're saying that even when you have a stressful month, it's still not, you know, it's still not going to negate the effect of like stress management and um, and actually addressing yeah. the, the root cause. Well, um, yeah, but that's it, why always the foundations need to be there. The foundations mm-hmm. of health, right? Stress, sleep, eating well, exercising. Like if you don't have that in place, like nothing is really going to change things for yourself. So yeah. that's kind of where, you know, me as a naturopath kind of comes in with, coaching patients and helping them and you too right with the nutrition and like really helping women dial that in because you know we can give you know all the supplements we can give but if the patient doesn't have that foundation um, then it's not going to necessarily be effective yeah absolutely absolutely and so for you though like when you talk about the effect that it's had the progesterone's had on your body what um um, do you mean more kind of PMS symptoms? Because that's what many people no. would, would, would think. <laughs> yeah. I feel more progesterone. No, like um, basically what's happened is that uh, my skin has never been this clear in mm. my whole entire life. Mm. Like I, my PCOS was kickstarted by, through acne. So mm-hmm. I had like extreme like cystic acne. And I remember going to the doctor and she being like, oh, like, don't worry, we can use birth control and it'll be fine. And I was like, I don't know about that. Um, But, you know, that cystic acne is what kind of threw it off. And like this year has been the first year where I feel like confident walking out of my house without makeup on because Mm -hmm. my skin is like so clear, like to the point where it's just like, you know, it's insane. Like, I I don't even know how to describe it, how happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah and then like and no pms that, really and that's because of that natural testosterone lowering effect of the progesterone right exactly. when we get out of that early puberty stage of high lh high testosterone and into the later stage of the more fsh and lower testosterone that's pretty much what you can think of progesterone doing is yes happen to lower that yeah and the other thing it does progesterone also does stop testosterone converting into dht doesn't it i was just about to say that yeah exactly and dht is what really stimulates that sebum production to Mm. cause acne so i think that's actually where it's helping me the most yeah and like very few pms symptoms and like cramping is way better and also um just like overall feeling like my body is maturing a little bit i'm quite thin um lean patient and so um just like getting a little bit more curvy and like yeah and um like my breasts are a little bit fuller like all these things that like was very different from the past has like really changed and I think like that's just a sign that progesterone is doing what it's supposed to be doing Mm. and really helping me like to get back on this track of like okay there is progesterone here, (laughs) you know, the body is like finally realizing that and like testosterone is coming down. Hair Mm. hair growth has also changed, like less hair growth for sure. Um, Mm. I've never had issues with hair loss, but I've always had hirsutism and I'm just finding that my hair isn't growing as fast as it used to. So lots and lots of changes and like all of them really come down to the fact that it seems like progesterone is doing what exactly what we're talking about is reducing testosterone Mm. and how did you because you sound like you by that stage had relatively regular cycles how did Mm -hmm. you identify that that would help you um well I just felt like it was time to um give it a try because there was times where I was missing cycles Mm. um or my cycles were getting long and I and you know, there was that hypothalamic picture as well, hypothalamic amenorrhea. So um, there's no harm in taking progesterone. So I was like, you know what, I might as well give it a try. Um, DHT, I had tested it like two years ago, and it was very, very, very high. 
Mm. And then a year after I retested it and it was extremely low. So I think that there's an issue at the lab with um, testing DHT here in Canada. But I think that my issue is still, I have high DHT. And so um, definitely I was like, well, this is a time that I can give it a try and we'll see what happens. And it has been the best experience, honestly, yeah. for myself. Yeah. And a lot of my patients would say the exact same thing that they, they really feel like it's um, helping them. Mm. And I think it's a really good note to finish on because it's not just about, yes, it is, you know, in terms of like getting cycles back more regular, but the downstream effect of that can have so many effects on the actual symptoms that we actually want to improve, right? Like, because I know that most women with PCOS would be like, yeah, well, cycle regularity for me, it's not a big deal unless you're trying to conceive, but now knowing that, okay, actually it's having a massive impact on my um, bone health and whether I'm actually going to be, you know, more at risk of osteoporosis or heart health and more at risk of cardiovascular disease or breast health and more at risk of um, breast cancer as well is a really big, important thing to understand. But also in the moment, the things that are really giving you grief at the moment, like hirsutism or acne, it can also really help with that as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's just all just a downstream effect of the um, getting those cycles back more regular and, and also too, not just that, but things like um, pre- pre-period insomnia I've seen it so mm. helpful for so many women that have had really mm. bad PMS symptoms because many PMS symptoms can be due to ovulating late low progesterone and um and so again sometimes it's again getting to that root cause many women I've seen it's like they've had like a histamine intolerance we've got to get on top of that but that's only exacerbated by lots of estrogen and therefore why progesterone can be really helpful for um, minimizing yeah. Have you seen that in your patients too? Yeah, and also um, like uh, PMDD. Yes. So, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so depression right before a yeah. period is happening. So definitely in that case, progesterone could be another option. Um, <laughs> so in that case, would you do it, um, take it orally just because of the effect that the metabolites can have on the brain? Yeah, so definitely because of the metabolites, um, it would help the across the blood-brain barrier and then we can... Uh, see the effects on the mental emotional component in the case like that yeah do you generally yeah. see in that case a complete resolution of the pre kind of menstrual depression or is it still there but just not as bad i have seen pretty good effects with it it depends on the patient right and sometimes they just need more exposure we need to change the dose but um definitely it can definitely help in those cases yeah nice okay that's and yeah yeah, I, and, and I think so warranted because that PMDD, that debilitating, the world is ending kind of feel before. Oh my gosh, yeah. every so month, right? Every month. So definitely there's things we can do to help these women who are experiencing that. And you shouldn't have, that's not normal. Mm. It's so don't feel like it's just okay to feel that way. And then it's just PMS, like, no, mm -hmm. there's something definitely there. We can help support you. Mm, amazing. With, yeah. Um, and so finally, we are, so in Canada, how does it work with people that you can work with? Do you work by state or can you work countrywide? Can you work with any other woman in helping to prescribe this? So right now I can see patients in Ontario, Canada. Mm -hmm. So just in the province of Ontario, um, they can be my patients. And then, you know, I'm always on social media and I have a Facebook group, um, Natural PCOS Support Group. So you know, jump on there, ask some questions, and I can direct you or help you um, to get the help you need um, as much as I can. But yeah, just uh, patients in Ontario um, is kind of who I'm seeing right now. Cool. And do you have, um, yeah, I'm just going to think, that, so in terms of your clinic and stuff like that, how would someone come to see you in clinic? Yeah, so just um, hop on Instagram and you can book an appointment with me um, through there. There's a link there. Cool. Um, and then on my website, um, you can just take a look at saminamitha.com and there's a contact me page and you can go on there. But Instagram is probably your best bet. The easiest. Yeah, great. Okay. So yeah. in the show notes below, directly below this, jump down there now. And if you are in Ontario, then um, I'll, there's the link to Samina's Instagram and also her website. So go to the Instagram, book an appointment now. And um, yeah, lucky you. Awesome. <laughs> oh my God, how, how lucky if you live in Ontario. <laughs> As I no, said, right? yeah. Fiona. We, we just need to get the word out there that there's things that we can do to help, right? And so hopefully, um, you know, other doctors can kind of act, uh, take on the role too to help these patients as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for Thank all you your so time. Much. Thank you so much for this. It's been brilliant, and um, we'll chat to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. So, how mind blowing was that, huh? I love talking to her and always learn so much from that. And I know that you guys will have as well. Many of you would never have heard about using micronized progesterone for treatment of PCOS. And I, from my experience in working with women who, when I've, pres- when I've referred them out and had micronized progesterone prescribed, has been incredible. So I would really, I mean, you're so lucky if you're in Ontario, please go and, um, and book an appointment with her, with Dr. Samina. I think that it is, um, well worth it. And, um, but if you're not, then in, uh, we talk about micronized progesterone, uh, treatment in a PCS protocol quite often. I would say every single week on our, on our Zoom calls when someone might have a symptom like, uh, pre-period insomnia or they might have, um, where they've really focused on their like insulin or inflammation or stress hormones, whatever it is, and yet their periods are still really irregular and they're really wanting to conceive quite soon, then, um, you know, I talk about it a lot with them as well. Um, so I've developed a few relationships in many countries in the world where people who do prescribe that. So um, I tend to refer them out a lot to those that I have um, relationships with there. And yeah, it is, it can be super, super effective. And I think not, as I said, not just for the menstrual regularity, ovulation regularity, but also symptoms like acne and hirsutism. And because of the effect that progesterone has in stopping your body from converting testosterone into DHT. And DHT is the thing that does a real damage when it comes to, especially, um, hirsutism, you know, because it's that DHT that's turning that little fine microvilli here into a big, you know, a big terminal here and causing that hirsutism. So it can be really effective for many symptoms of PCOS. So thanks so much for tuning in today and we will see you next week. Bye for now. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information, including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services, and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat, or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.